morning, Cypress Bible Church. We are so glad to have you in worship today. Would you stand together? Can you get your hands together with us? We have come to worship the Lord, to remember the greatness of our God, that he is a strong lion that has come to save and a beautiful lamb for our sacrifice. Let's sing this out. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain. For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. stop the Lord Almighty, no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it out. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord
before you sit down, turn to the left and the right, greet those around you and just say hello. Welcome to worship. I love to see that. That's a reminder that we are family and we are, we are here to celebrate together. That is wonderful, that's beautiful. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> All right, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning, um, not just to, to worship together, to, to, to meet each other, to be with each other, um, but we are here for a special celebration today. Uh, parents, you can go ahead and start coming on up. Um, we are here for child dedication. Um, and if you've been here for, for one of these uh, celebrations, you'll, you'll know uh, some of the things I'm about to say, but I just hope you remember uh, that this is a joyous day. Uh, and so I wanna hear some joy from everyone as we finish up today, just celebrating these families that God has brought into our church, these children that God has brought. Um, how cool is it that he is continually filling our church um, and bringing people here so that they might glorify him. Uh, today, I wanna read from Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, this says in verses four through nine, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, there are certain things that are spoken to, to Israel specifically, um, but I also think some of these words are words that we could listen and, and it could say hero church um, because just as Israel wanted their children uh, to grow to grow up to know the Lord uh, we want our kids to grow and know Jesus um, and it's not just parents it's not just families uh, we are one family we are one church and we all have a role to play in helping children come to know the Lord and so today we celebrate uh, the families uh, that are here today and the decision they are making to dedicate their children to the Lord. And we're celebrating also uh, that we have a part to play in that. Ms. Avalyn's gonna introduce the families we have up here today. Okay, we're gonna start off with the Mosers and this is Jillian and Joel Moser. They have three children actually. The other two are in the nursery and um, preschool classrooms right now. Um, they wanted to focus on Quinn. And so we have Quinn Laney Mosher being dedicated today. Um, she's four months old. Uh, her, she's got a big sister, Sloan, who's four, and um, a brother, Reese, who's two years old. Um, their dreams and desire for Quinn is that she would know and love Jesus, to be kind, loving, and joyful in everything she does, to love her brother and sister as much as they love her. And the Mosers have been here at CBC for nine years. Um, they've served in children's ministry. Actually, they're still serving as substitutes for us. And um, Jillian's been involved with the Go Outreach with the Loving More. So we're going to let them take over and dedicate Quinn. Uh, dear Quinn, the Bible verse we've chosen for you today is Jeremiah 1, 5, and it reads, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We have chosen this verse because long before we knew we would have you, God knew. You were perfectly made in our perfect peace to complete our family, and we are so thankful to get to be your parents, and we know that God has great things planned for you. We love you, Quinn.
And then we have the Tran family. Um, they have been here for 11 years at CBC. Um, they were serving in the nursery even before they had children. So I've considered these brave people here <laughs> to deal with other babies. And then now they have their own too. Um, and they're gonna be uh, dedicating Isabel Esther Tran and, um, and Connor Edward Tran. So I'm gonna let you go ahead and read. Dear Isabel, the Bible verse we have chosen for your dedication is Joshua 1.9. For I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We have chosen this verse because it's one that you're familiar with and have memorized. We want you to remember that God is always with you and that he'll continue to lead you all the days of your life. You are so brave, beautiful, and a wonderful big sister to Connor. We love you and we pray that you'll grow to be a strong woman of God. Today we'll bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. And then Connor Edward Tran. Dear Connor, the Bible verse we have chosen for your dedication is Philippians 4:19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We have chosen this verse because we want you to know that we pray for you before you are born. And we will continue to pray for you and remind you of all the riches and glory in, in the Lord Christ Jesus. We love you and we pray that you'll grow to be a mighty man of God. Today we bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. Man, that's wonderful. Now at this point, uh, our parents are going to be making a, a commitment. Um, and I'll, I'll read the first part of that commitment with them. And then after that, if y'all would help me and uh, read along um, on the slides after we um, finish this paragraph. Um, let's read this together. Uh, we recognize that children are a gift from God. And as parents, we have the responsibility to prepare our children for life. We affirm that the most important preparation for life involves their own relationship to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we commit to the following. If you guys would read from the slides. We commit to, go back one. <laughs> we commit to model for our child what a Christ follower is, to pray for our child regularly, to instruct and guide our child in their understanding of what Christ followers believe. Now, they're not only making a commitment, but we are making a commitment today. And I hope you take these words seriously um, for the things that we are about to, to commit to these families right here. Whether you know them or not, uh, you have a role to play in their lives and their children's development. So would you rise with me and let's say this as a church family uh, and, and mean these words. We commit to walk beside these families, to pray for them, to encourage them to be good models of those becoming more like Jesus. And as God prompts us to participate in the care and instruction of these children and parents through our own personal ministry and ministries of the church. We have lots of ministries you can plug into. There's lots of ways you can serve children. We've got VBS coming up. We've got a fifth grade class at 11 o'clock if you wanna come talk to me. We've got an opportunity. We have so many opportunities, but the truth is, whether you're serving in children's ministry or not, you all have a role to play with these families. Uh, whether you're celebrating them, worshiping together in service, whether you're smiling at them, whether you're encouraging and praying for these parents. Um, parents have a, a tough job, whether they're up here or they're out there. Um, and we know that you are the primary ministers to your children, but we wanna walk alongside you and, and help you uh, help your kids know Jesus. Let me pray for y'all today. 
Would you bow with me? Dear God, we thank you so much for the Mosier family, for the Tran family. We thank you for Connor and Isabel and Quinn. We thank you for the blessing that they are, not only to these families, but to our family, uh, to our church. Uh, we thank you that they are here, that you have brought them here. Um, and we just thank you as these uh, blessings were spoken from your word. Uh, we thank you that you have a plan for these children. Uh, you have a purpose for them. You are gonna walk with them. You are gonna be with them as they grow up and you will meet all their needs. You are their supply. You are more than enough. And I pray that as they grow up, that they see you as their treasure. They see you as their God. They come to know you and love you and live for you. And we pray that we as a church come, along these, come alongside these parents and all together we model for these children what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for his life that he gave for us, um, the life everlasting. Um, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate these families. Um, it's all in your name. And everybody said, amen. Let's cheer for these families making this decision today. One, two. Oh, there we are. How awesome to dedicate children and uh, have children as part of our body here at Cypress Bible Church. Um, I'm Brian Carroll, executive pastor. My privilege to welcome you here this morning, whether you've been attending here for a long time or whether you're, this, this is your first Sunday, we're glad that you're here. Cypress Bible Church, we say wherever you're at, you're welcome here. So beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. And so if you're newer here, we invite you to keep on coming back to be part of our family that uh, is in the process of becoming more of who God wants us to be. Um, uh, if you are new or if you just want to communicate with us, on the back of the pews there is a QR code. And uh, if you take a picture of that QR code, it'll open up a form that you can give us information about yourself or if there's requesting information or things you want to need, it's the best way for you to communicate with us. At Cypress Bible Church, we focus on four things. Gather for life-changing worship. That's what we're here today to do, to gather together uh, to serve and worship our God. Uh, then second thing, uh, we encourage people to find a smaller community to be part of and grow uh, through a life-changing truth. And that is our, all kinds of opportunities are available. If you go out through the door and to your left, there's a kiosk there. You can learn more about small group opportunities. We have men's groups, women's groups, and then we have mixed groups as well. Um, also, we believe it's important that we go, that we take that gospel message to others, just like people have carried that to us. And lots of different opportunities to do that. And finally, uh, as a uh, will be mentioned in our service this morning. Our theme is on serve, and so uh, we uh, need to follow the example or the model that Christ has served us, and God challenges us to serve individuals and to serve in ministry. And so we had, uh, um, invite you to find ways that you can do that here at Cypress Bible Church. Just a couple of announcements. We have a CBC 101 class started last week, meeting this morning. We'll meet for a couple more times, and so if you're interested, if you're new, want to know how to take the next step of connection, you can sign up to go to that next week and but that meets over in the room at the far left over there in the java room and into 111 and that meets at 11 o'clock at this hour also we have a membership class coming up very soon if uh, you're ready to learn more about what it means to be a member at cypress bible church and uh, we would encourage you to go to that class it's not a commitment to take the step of membership but it's a way that you can find out about that that's on saturday april 3rd you can sign up by either calling the church office during the week or you can sign up out at the kiosk or the welcome center in the back today 
Um, also, we have something coming up together we celebrate. Um, I hope that some of you are at that event that we had this past fall um, as we together we pray and uh, celebrate. And we will be doing another one on Wednesday, March 30th. And so we invite you to come, put that on your calendars. It'll be a great time as we celebrate what God is already doing in our midst and as we pray in anticipation of what he continues to do to lead us and guide us in the process of where we are at as a church. Um, and then it's my privilege this morning to uh, welcome you and introduce you to our new series. It says Lessons from the Last Supper, uh, John 13 through 17, which is when Jesus is what's oftentimes called the Upper Room Discourse. He's talking to his disciples right before his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture as Jesus gives very important insights into uh, what he, who he is, what's going to happen to him, and what he uh, desires for the disciples. And uh, so uh, it will take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. So this series will. And I'm uh, very pleased that we have Jeremy Little, who teaches. Uh, he's a Bible study teacher, or a Bible teacher here at Cyprus. Teaches mostly in, a, um, in an adult, adult grow class, um, but also is taught in a variety of other capacities. And so he will be leading us throughout that series. But I invite you to join me praying together that God, we'd be open to what it is that God has for us this morning and throughout this series as we prepare to celebrate Christ's resurrection uh, coming up uh, at the end, in, in the middle of April. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and thank you for the privilege we have of worshiping you. Lord, we pray that today as we come to worship that you would be pleased and honored uh, by the way that we worship you. Lord, I pray also that you would cause our hearts to be open to what it is you want to show us that as you use Jeremy to challenge and encourage us from the words of John, the words of Jesus himself, Lord, I pray that you would, you would cause us to be open to what it is you want us to do, first and foremost, to serve you and then to serve others. And so, Lord, give us that receptivity. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, congratulations, church. You made it. This was Time Change Spring Break Sunday, and it's the worst time change of the year. And you're here unless you meant to come to the 930 service. But we are so glad that you made it to worship today. It's always a privilege that we have to gather together and worship the Lord. I want to read a scripture passage right out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And then in verse 6, it says this, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's a song this morning we want to teach you, and it says a phrase in here, believe for it. And I just want to describe it in a biblical context, that there is something to believing for things that have not happened yet. There were people that met Jesus and they said, my son or my daughter is sick at home. And I know if you just say the word, they'll be healed. And Jesus would say to them, your faith has healed them. There's a measure of believing for something that hasn't happened yet. And is there something in your life that hasn't happened yet? There's something you're praying for or praying towards. You know, believing for and having faith that God will move and do is an important part. It says, Without faith, we can't please God. So there's a measure of faith in believing for God to do things. Now, is he always going to do it the way we hope he's going to do it? Well, no, of course not. He's going to do it the way he wants to do it and get it accomplished. And sometimes he might move a mountain, but sometimes he might make you walk through the mountain. 
Either way, he is there with you, holding on to you, and that faith element grows your walk with the Lord. And so we want to teach you the chorus of this song. Would you stand together with us? And we're going to learn this song together. And the chorus sounds... Let me turn my guitar, huh? There we go. The chorus sounds like this. Move the immovable. Break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. Would you sing that together with us? Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. So church, we invite you to put your learning hats on. Let's learn this song together. As you catch on to it, sing along with Jalen as she leads us.
declaration you are the way when there seems to be no way we trust in you God you have the final say and you are the way when there seems to be no way we trust in you God you have the final say you are the way when there seems to be no way and we trust in you god you have the final say move the immovable move the immovable break the unbreakable god we believe god we believe for it from the impossible We'll see a miracle, God, we believe, God, we believe for Thank you. 
We're so grateful for the power, the wonder, and the beauty that we can rest in through your name. God, thank you for protecting us, for being a shield, for being a fortress, for being one that we can lean on, and one that we can believe will do and accomplish your will in our lives. You have been faithful before, you will be faithful now, and you will be faithful in the future because it's not just something you do, it is who you are. And we can trust that and believe that you will move and that you will do the things you want to accomplish. And God, thank you that we can be used as vessels in your kingdom, Lord, to serve you, but also to enjoy you, to enjoy your presence. And this is such a sweet gift we have together as a church body to enjoy your presence here together. We love you. We give you the highest praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Today I have the privilege to start a new series, Lessons from the Last Supper. And the first thing we're going to look at is John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I say that because it's not going to be on the slides. You're going to have to turn your Bibles to John 13. Or your electronic device, whatever it may be. So we're going to be looking at John 13. And the focus of this session today is on the lesson that Jesus gives for us to serve. But as it is John 13, there are many chapters prior to that. And it happens in a certain context. And so since we didn't start in John chapter 1, we're going to have to catch up to see where are we in John 13. But even before we get into John itself, the gospel that John wrote, it is also in a context that is in a context of the other gospels. So today, I'm going to give you a history lesson, one that some of you may know, one that some of you may have a different take on, but I'm going to give you the historical earliest church's record of exactly how these Gospels came together, and we have to do that so that we can understand what is in the Gospel of John. So let's take a look at these together. The first one is the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew wrote his gospel sometime in the 40s. You see, Matthew, like the other apostles of Jesus, goes off on a mission. Just like Paul went off on, on his missionary journeys, Matthew's going to go on his own missionary journey. But before he leaves Jerusalem, before he leaves Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem told Matthew, please 
write this down for us because the apostles loved to go out and preach. They would go and they would speak and they would tell all the things that Jesus did. But they wanted Matthew to write it down. And why Matthew? Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the educated one. And so Matthew wrote down his gospel. And he wrote it down originally in the Hebrew. Not many know that. A lot of early church fathers attest to that fact. And it was later translated into Greek. So that is the gospel of Matthew. And they even had copies of it in Hebrew in India, as the earliest church attests to. The next one we see is Mark. Mark, some, written sometime in the 50s or maybe even in the early 60s. Oh, and I should probably add, <laughs> this is not the 1960s or 1950s. This is the actual 50s. Uh, Doo-wop music. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. So that's Mark, though. Mark was the right-hand man of Peter. Peter calls him his son, my son Mark. He calls him that because while in Rome, while Peter is in Rome sharing the gospel, not just sharing that Jesus died for our sins, but all of the stories that he went through, Mark is asked by the Romans themselves, hey, we're not going to have Peter forever. Can you please write it down? Write down the things. And you have to ask yourself, why didn't Peter write it down? I'll tell you why. He was a fisherman. He was not an educated man. Even the leaders in Jerusalem made that note. They noted that he was not an educated man, but they noted he was with Jesus. So Mark wrote it down. And when Peter found out that Mark had written all these things down and he heard it, Peter said, yeah, that's great. I'm glad he did it. The church should use it. That's Mark. Peter's gospel, really. Next, we have Luke. We know that Luke had to write the Gospel of Luke before 62 AD because Acts, which was written later, was written after the Gospel of Luke. And Acts ends in 62 AD. And so Luke is very interesting. Luke, a traveling companion with Paul. Luke, a doctor, an educated man. Luke, an interviewer of eyewitnesses. When I was younger and I would read in Luke chapter 2, and it said, uh, when Mary said concerning the birth of Jesus, at the end of it, in chapter 2 of Luke, she says, or it says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. It bothered me because intellectually I'm thinking, how on earth does Luke know that Mary treasured these things in her heart? I'll tell you how Luke knows or how Luke knew because he was interviewing her, and he's writing these things down. And as she's done talking about the birth of Jesus and how the shepherds were there and the angels and all that, she says, I just treasured all these things in my heart. And Luke said, that is good writing. And he wrote that down. And that's how we know what Mary treasured in her heart. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that is the background of those Gospels attested to by Eusebius of Caesarea. You can go read it for yourselves in the history of the church. You can go read Hippolytus. You can go and read the other early church fathers like Irenaeus and others, Papias, and find these things out. And I encourage you to do so because those are our brothers in Christ who came before us and were also eyewitnesses of the disciples. But we have to fast forward to 85 or sometime between 85 and 95 AD. John is an old man. 
John has been living in Ephesus. John has been going on a circuit in Asia, modern-day Turkey. He's been going on a circuit in Asia, encouraging the churches in, in those different cities in Asia. It should be no surprise that in Revelation, he writes to the seven churches of Asia because he's very familiar with them and does his circuit going to those churches. Well, John, as Eusebius says, John, actually Eusebius is quoting other early church fathers, John already has the three gospels. He has them already. And he said they're useful and should be used in churches, and that's exactly what happened. But they said to him in Ephesus, what about some of the other things Jesus did? What about some of the earlier things that Jesus did or some of the things that were left out? Well, after fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit laid it upon John to write a fourth gospel. He knew that the three that they had, it was enough, in his opinion. But then God said, no, John, you will write another one. And so he writes it much later. But we know that the Holy Spirit guided him to remember the things. And of course, he lived through it as an eyewitness himself, and he recorded them down. So when you read the book of John, you have to understand that John himself already read the other three Gospels, and he's not going to write or say anything that contradicts them. And when you understand that, then you can understand, ah, this is why John is so different than the other three. Some people use it as a tool to say, oh, well, John was written in the 150s AD. Well, we don't get any of that kind of nonsense from the church, the earliest church, nor do we even, we have texts of John that are from the first century AD. But I trust what our brothers in Christ said before us. And this is a great background for the Gospel of John. But we're starting in chapter 13. And chapter 13 has a background as well. Consider, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, these 12 guys have been with Jesus for th around three years. They've been on the mountaintops, in the valleys. They know what would happen in the desert. They know what happened on the sea. They were there. They saw these things. They saw healings. They saw arguments. They saw people come to know the real Messiah. And here of late... Many interesting things have happened. They've been coming every day into Jerusalem on this last week. Jesus, if you look at that first picture, Jesus had his feet anointed by Mary Magdalene with perfume. And he said, it's to prepare me for my burial. He's been telling these guys, I'm going to die soon. They weren't quite getting it, but they kept hearing it. So as we get into the scripture we're going to get into, keep that in mind. Also, they saw him just a few days ago, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Everybody's come to Jerusalem because they're going to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Eight total days of celebration, remembering how God delivered them from Egypt. And so they had this great triumphal entry where Jesus comes in and they have palm branches and they're hailed to the son of David and, and praising his name. They saw that. Then we also have Jesus in the temple. He's whipping the tables and pushing over tables and telling them to get out because there's money changers in there that are taking advantage of the people in the temple of God. And so he drives them out. They saw that. This is the same week. They also saw Jesus 
Jesus going toe-to-toe with all the sects of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes, everybody coming to catch Jesus in a trap, and in front of everybody, he beat them all, as if you can argue with God and win. They saw that. And they also saw Jesus teaching them, teaching them about how the temple is going to be destroyed. And he's teaching them also about the future, not just their future, but our future as well. Jesus taught them that. They also saw Jesus have his head anointed with perfume for his burial that was going to come. And Jesus said, she's doing this to prepare me for my burial. Overshadowing everything that Jesus saw and that the disciples saw, Jesus knew that his time was coming close. The cross, where we're going to start at, is the Last Supper. Jesus will be hours away from suffering this death on the cross. So as we go through this series, keep that in mind. And now, hopefully you've been able to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Let us read together the entire passage, and then we'll look at it in a few different sections. The Word of God says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, Jesus got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. (laughs) Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, 
nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And Lord, we are your people. You have called us to be your children. And Lord, now we seek, all of us, myself included, we seek that you would teach us from your word, Lord, and that we would do the things that you've called us to do. As it says here, Lord, we are blessed if we do these things. We thank you for your word, and we ask you would be with us now as we seek to look at these different sections. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at these sections. First, we'll look at, well, let's look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, whoa, stop. <laughs> before the feast of the Passover, what on earth is John talking about? We know from the other Gospels that this takes place on Passover. Well, this has been a controversy in the church for uh, several decades or maybe a few hundred years. It was never a controversy before, but it has become one. Atheists love to point at this and say, ha, John is contradicting everybody else. He says it's happening before the Passover. Well, my friends, uh, those of you that know me probably know that I love to read history and ancient historians, and I love to read Josephus, I love to read Eusebius, I love to read Papias, Ignatius, Irenaeus, all these different early church fathers. I love to read them. And I love to read Jewish historians, like I said, Josephus and Philo and some others. I love to read them because in reading them, you start to learn things. And I'm only going to spend a little bit of time on this because it's important. It says here, before the feast of the Passover. And it sounds like it's before the Passover itself. Well, first, let's think about Exodus 12, when the first Passover happened. It was the night that the firstborn of Egypt were going to die. And so they had to sacrifice the lamb, the Passover lamb, on the 14th day of their first month, which is a month called Aviv, or Nisan, you've heard it called. So on the 14th day of every Nisan, of every Aviv, that same day of every year, they are to celebrate the Passover. But something else happened. See, they were leaving on the 15th of Nisan, the 15th of Aviv. And that was the start of another festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they didn't have time to leaven their bread. They had to leave Egypt in a hurry. And so they ate unleavened bread. And God says in Exodus 12, for seven days you will celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day is a special Sabbath. Doesn't matter what day of the week it falls on, it's a Sabbath. That's the 15th. The last day of this feast, the 21st, is also a Sabbath. So it's two Sabbaths, regardless of what day it falls on. It's eight days total of eating unleavened bread. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But you know what happens over time? It's an eight-day festival. You know what they call it in history? They'll call it the Feast of the Passover, all eight days. Sometimes they'll just call the Feast of Unleavened Bread the Feast of the Passover. And sometimes they'll call all eight days the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the day that they sacrifice the Passover lamb. And even the other three gospel writers write about that. John's not confused about 
what day it is. We are confused. He's saying the feast of the Passover, referring to the feast of unleavened bread. In chapter 12, verse 1, he talks about the Passover that's coming, which is referring to the Passover itself. So my friends, when you hear about this, and I know this seems a little obscure, but it's something for us to know. Because when you dig deeper into God's word, you find exciting things. And that's what I want you to also do. Dig deep into God's word. You will find amazing things. So this is Passover night. They're enjoying a Passover meal. They're reclining at the table together. Jesus has told them before he's going to die, and it is overshadowing things. And he's also said that someone's going to betray them. And so all of these things overshadow what's going on. But let's look at the rest of this section, the first five verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Let's think about this. Jesus... He knew that he was going to die. He knew that he came from the Father. He knew that he was returning to the Father. He knew that he loved his disciples. He knew who his disciples were. He knew his own. And he knew that the Father had given all things to him. He understood these things. He also understood what the devil had done in influencing Judas. And he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Now, as the Father has given all things into his hand, we must understand something, and we can get this out of John chapter 1. Nothing was made without Jesus. All things were made through him. Jesus is the Son. God is one in essence, three in person. He is a trinity. God is beyond our understanding. We can get into the trinity some other time, but... Understand this, Jesus is outside of space and time. He is the master of space and time. God is above his creation. God is also in his creation. God is outside of our universe. He is outside of time. He is above all things. And how does Jesus respond? Bearing all of these things in mind. He takes on the garb of a slave. He takes off his outer garment, which would be a nice robe. He takes that off, and he's got his, his clothes on underneath. They're not as nice. And he ties a rope around himself and shoves a towel in there. He's girded with this towel. He's ready to get down on his knees before his disciples and wash their feet. This is what he did, this master of time and space. He did these things. Let's look at the next section. How, did, how was it responded? How was it received? Verses 6 through 11, starting verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter 
He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And understand, my friends, he's talking about Judas there. Jesus washed Judas's feet too. And a slave is the one that washes feet. You see, you wear sandals back then. These guys had traveled down the Mount of Olives with their sandals on and the dirt getting all over their feet through the Kidron Valley up into Mount Moriah, into Jerusalem where they're going to have this supper, this Passover. Their feet are dirty. These aren't closed-toed shoes like what we have. These are open-toed sandals with a thong in between the big toe and the next toe. Their feet are filthy. And a slave is the one who cleans the feet. And that is what Jesus did. He put on this garb. And here's what Peter understood. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He confessed it. Remember, Jesus was saying, who do people say that I am? And finally, he said, who do you say that I am in Matthew 16? Peter said, you are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. He knew that. The Christ is wearing servant's garb and getting down and washing feet. It was inappropriate for Jesus to act like a slave. That's not what masters and lords do. He also knew that he himself, Peter knew that he himself was a sinful man for. He said it to Jesus in Luke 5. He said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. So he knew that he was a sinful man, and he also knew that he had dirty feet. And he didn't want Jesus getting down there doing that. I'm sure he thought maybe he should be cleaning Jesus' feet, but what was Simon Peter's reaction? But no, he says, Two Greek words to Jesus, uh, two Greek words that we get in here, ooh and me, and they both mean no, no, no way are you going to wash my feet. I'm sure he felt ashamed about it. Why would the king of the universe bend down to wash his nasty, sinful feet? And Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter, he responds exactly the way that you would expect Peter to respond. If you ever watch Peter's life, it's all or none with Peter. That's what he's like. Jesus is out there, and, and they're on the Sea of Galilee. There's a bad storm, and Jesus says, it is I out here. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, then let me come out and walk on the water with you. And what is he? He gets out of that boat, and he goes there. He starts walking on the water, too. Yeah, he sunk, but he, he walked on the water. He was the one. None of the other disciples do. This is Peter's thing. He's like, no way are you going to wash my feet. Jesus says, well, i got to wash your feet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. He's overboard. He's, he's all or nothing. And then as soon as Jesus says it is this way, he's like, good, let's do it. And you'll see later when Jesus is resurrected and he's on the shore 
and, they, he, and Peter notices it's Jesus, they're rowing to shore. He says, forget it. He jumps out and dives in. This is Peter. This is what he's like. Jesus, though, being in a position above Peter, humbled himself to something below Peter. Let's look at the next and, and final section. Verses 12 through 17. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. They called him teacher and Lord. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the teachers, the Pharisees, those who were called rabbi, he said they loved to be greeted in the marketplace. Rabbi! The rabbi's over there, dressed very nicely, very wealthy man. He loves to hear the praises. Yes, I, your rabbi, am here. Come, pay your respects to me, for I am your teacher. They understand what a teacher is like. They live in a society where these rabbis are the most, some of the most respected people. Jesus says, yes, I am a teacher. You're right. I'm also Lord. And Lord is a ruler, the one who is over them, the one that you better pay your respects to. Isn't it amazing? These are his titles, and he accepts them, and then he responds by lowering himself. It should really make all of us think, about whatever position we have, whatever authority or power we have. The king of the universe has given us this example to say that's nothing. If you are doing it wrong and lording it over people, then you have missed the lesson that Jesus has taught. And let's contemplate this even more because Jesus is extremely humble he is God the Son. Paul writes it beautifully in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. The king of the universe emptied himself to be found among men. 
and was obedient. He served, not only in washing their feet, not only in the cleansing of sin, but he was implying to Peter to wash. You will be clean. I will cleanse you. You have no part of me. Jesus dies a few hours later, and he's obedient to death on the cross, and he serves us all. He serves you this day, for Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The master of time and space, serving in that way, serving us in that way. Now, what about you? Jesus saw that their feet were dirty, and he saw that their sins were many, and he served. That's what he saw, and then he served. He didn't keep his high, lofty position in mind to say, you serve me. He said, no, I will serve you. And that, as an example, as an example, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So what do you see in front of you? We, we've got to pay attention, not just you, me. This is for all of us. We need to pay attention with what we see in front of us, with what God has been showing us, what he's been laying on our hearts. We have to look at that and think about it. We have to be active in these things. Is there a ministry that you need to serve in? Or is there a person that you need to serve? Has God laid it on your heart? Today is the day. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter if you're a sinful person like Peter. Jesus said, this is the example, and you do this to each other, knowing full well he was dealing with sinners just like you all and me, so that we would serve, serve one another. Today is the day, my friends. Do not delay to do what God has laid on your heart to do. Do not be afraid to serve, and do not be puffed up with knowledge. As Jesus said here, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Be a doer of the word and not a knower only. It does us no good if all we do is know the word. We have to do it. We have to serve one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to look into your word. And Lord, I know there are many scriptures that we could look at that teach this lesson, Lord. But this is what is before us today. We ask that you would cleanse us, sanctify us with the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to become more holy as you are holy. Lord, for the things that you've put on our hearts, the application of your word, Lord, would you do your work? Use your spirit to convict us all for the things that you've called us to serve in so that we would be faithful, faithful, and that we would mimic your example. We thank you for this time, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, his holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Church, we have an opportunity to respond to the message now by the singing together. So I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord as we respond. i
Now, my friends, elders will come down to the front. They're up here to pray with you. If God has laid anything on your heart, whatever it is, come on down. I have one more little thing to share for you, with you from God's Word. The book of Matthew chapter 20. We see something else Jesus has to say about it. He said this, even in the vicinity of this time period we're talking about, Jesus said these things. He said it before the Last Supper. He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So too for you today, my friends. Your opportunity to serve, it is upon you. Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to serve. We want to be obedient to the example that you have given to us. Help us to do so, Lord. Open our eyes to the abilities and gifts that you have given us so that we can find the place you want us to serve. Help us to be faithful to this example. For it is in the most precious name of Jesus that we